Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you today. It's an honor to stand before you, opening up God's word to discover what he might have us learn so that we can grow in our relationship with him through his son, Jesus. Our text today is found in James chapter three. James is near the end of the Bible in the New Testament. As you're taking time to find that, find it on your device. I wanna welcome those that are worshiping with us online. It's great to be with you in God's house today as well. While you're looking for that, let me remind you that the creator of the universe is here with you today. The creator of the universe delights to be with you today. Here at his church, I'm so glad that you're here today. More importantly, God is pleased that you are here worshiping him. He is pleased that you are camping out in his word. He is pleased that you are looking to offer fellowship, to show love and care and concern with others. He is pleased. He is glad that you are here today. I was talking with one of my new senior adult friends just recently, and he and I were sharing our life story with one another, our history, our likes, our dislikes, our joys, our triumphs. Um, He was telling me about his family. I was telling him about my family. Uh, My family's gotten larger over the last month as our daughter got married about five weeks ago. Uh, We're enjoying this new season of life. He was telling me all about his grandkids, Uh, when all of a sudden he interrupted and he said, enjoy them while they're young. I'm talking about your hips and your knees, (laughs) not your children. And I thought, okay, you know, we have to be careful with what we say so we're not misquoted, so that we're not misinterpreted. Our words pack meaning. What a tremendous worship song, I Speak Jesus. May that be true of you. May that be true of me. Today's title of this message in James 3, verses 1 through 12 is, Are Your Words Acceptable Words? Are Your Words Acceptable Words? Let's suppose this afternoon or maybe sometime during this next week, someone comes up to you and says, listen, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Man, what you did on that project was so amazing. There's really no way I could have ever done anything like that. What if somebody said to you, I am praying for you this week. You've told me that this next week could be a doozy. I'm praying for you. What if someone said, hey, I know that that you've been ill. You've been under the weather. Are you doing better? What if someone said, hey, I know you're going on vacation next week. You're going on vacation next week, and when you get back, be sure to show me your photos and your videos. I want to see them. What if someone came to you this week and said, you were born to do this. You are so good. Now, let's suppose this next week, even this afternoon, somebody comes up to you, and one or more persons choose to throw these remarks at you. Let me get my notes to make sure I get this right. Can't you move any faster than that? I I don't have time for this. In fact, I really, I don't even have time for you. Yeah, you're, you're not gonna be good enough for this. Or, you look tired. You look tired. Are you not getting enough sleep? 
Are you not exercising right? Are you not taking your vitamins? Here's what I've heard a couple of times over the last couple of months. And let me preface it by saying, I know that the individuals that have said this to me mean well, and they're my friends, but this is what I've heard. I like you now. (laughs) I like you now that you have hair. And I'm like, I'm like, man, what if somebody said, you don't know what you're talking about? Now, altogether, I want you to help me finish this popular phrase, this cliche, all right? As soon as you chime in, voice it out loud. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is this true for you? This is not true for me. In fact, I say baloney to that phrase. I say utter baloney to that phrase. Words can and they do hurt sometimes. Their effects can linger. They can linger for days, weeks, months. And depending on the context, depending on what is said and who says it, our words can linger for some for years. You know, this part right here really quick is an opinion. Whether or not you are educated or uneducated, tall or short, pleasant or unpleasant, highly credentialed or have no credentials at all, no one has a free license to use their tongue and the subsequent words that come out in whatever way they desire. Our tongues, our words must adhere to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to the Bible itself for the life of a believer. You know, what we talk about reveals what we think. What comes out of our mouth tells other people what we enjoy, what we like, what we revel in. The use of the tongue either crowns or curses the Christian community. This weekend, Christian, brother and sister in Christ, have your words crowned or have they cursed the Christian community? The index to our spiritual health is how we talk. It reveals what kind of person we are. As a pastor in the early church, James is writing to a group of Christians, most of whom were probably Jewish, to talk to them about the power and the importance of words. Words that flow from the tongue, right? But more fundamentally, where do our words stem from? Our heart. Our words stem from our heart. So as you work and play, as you live and breathe this next week, it would be my hope, it would be God's hope that you and I could live out, we could aim for, we could strive for, we could look at this as being a target, Psalm 1914. So whether as an individual, as a couple, as a family unit, as a church, May Psalm 1914 be our target, our goal, our aim, and application from today's message. What does Psalm 1914 say? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So today as we begin, are your words acceptable words? Let's look in God's word, James chapter 3. 
verses 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse number five. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Verse number seven. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth, my brothers. These things should not be this way, is what the Bible says. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Let's go to God in prayer together. Jesus, we do speak your name today. We thank you for being our audience, our focus today. We've, we've all come from our homes, from our workplaces to gather in this one room today to worship and to praise and to acknowledge your presence, Lord. Thank you for receiving our worship today, God. You are so worthy. You're the only one that is worthy of such praise and honor and glory. For you are magnificent. You are wonderful. You are our high priest. God, as we spend time in your word over these next few minutes, God, speak through our hearts. Where conviction is needed, God, we know that you do that divine work, and we trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let's examine these verses together. First of all, we see that the tongue or our words have the power to teach. The power to teach. We learn the great responsibility that it is to take this book in front of other people, open it up, and to teach from it. James is warning all of his readers that they must take great care and great prayer in becoming a teacher of God's word. He's mostly focusing on those in the local church who teach in some kind of formal capacity. But we also know as brothers and sisters in Christ, we know what it says in the uh, Great Commission and Matthew chapter 28, that we're to make disciples of all nations by teaching those we disciple to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. So this really, the teaching part, James is talking to uh, official capacity teachers, but in a sense, he's talking to all of us when we open up God's word for other people. You see, teaching the Bible is to be taken seriously because it is a great responsibility a great responsibility. 
And those who teach the word, the Bible says, will be judged with greater strictness. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. When they stand before Jesus, they will be judged for every word they have said. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 12. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. You and I must be ever careful of every idle word, the questionable story, the deliberate lie, the half-truth, which is really a full-blown lie, false teachers who speak lies and distort, they selfishly color the word of God cunningly and deceptively like Satan, the accuser himself, will be condemned to hell. An everlasting separation from God. For those who are in Christ, our words have significance. For Jesus will reward our faithfulness. And this will be based in part on the words that we have spoken. James is saying to the church, think of the eternal ramifications before you Take the Bible, create a lesson plan, and put it forth to others. That's what James is saying here. James wants us to recognize the great potential of sinning in what we say. Every human being, every human being, including the most well-known Christian speakers, Christian authors, conference hosts, people on the radio, people on the biggest platforms in the world, all sin in many ways. James says only the perfect, only the perfect, only the mature don't sin in what they say. And the word mature in verse two in the original language can mean complete. It means mature, perfect, all put together. A mature Christian woman or man probably has learned to bridle his or her tongue to some degree. Do you ever recognize when you're around someone and maybe you're having a dialogue, a conversation, or you come upon someone that's already speaking to someone else? Do you ever stop and think, wow, this, this individual, they're following Jesus. Their tongue is bridled. They have in a sense, because of the Holy Spirit indwelling within them, they have control of what they're talking about. There's no idleness. There's no wasted breath. To me, when I'm in that setting with that person or those people, it is so refreshing to me be near someone who has bridled their tongue. James makes it clear in chapter one, verse 26 of this same book that any man that doesn't bridle his tongue has a worthless religion, is what the Bible says. However, James seems to be thinking of sinless perfection here. The man who is able to bridle his tongue perfectly would be able to control his whole body, thus refraining from all, all other sins. You know, perhaps there's no part of us that is in a more slippery place than the tongue. For the tongue, our words have power. 
They have the power to direct. Look at verses three and four there in your scripture. These verses illustrate the great potential the tongue has in directing others. Like the bit to control a horse, the helm to control a ship. The power of the tongue is effective to direct the lives of others into right, into good, or wrong, or incorrect paths. If the tongue is properly regulated, the whole man, the entire person, is managed just like the horse in a bit, and just like the ship with the rudder. It's brought under control. Look at one of these photos I have there of the horse in the bit there in its mouth. This is the first of three illustrations that James uses to bring home his point. He describes in verse three how, now when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we, we guide or we steer the whole animal just by doing that. And I'm not a horse guy. I want to be honest with you. I'm really not even an animal guy. Um, I'm, I'm really not, um, especially large animals. I haven't spent much time on farms or ranches or rugged terrain or great expanses. I'm more of a city guy, a city and a streets guy. And so after I've shared with you that little bit of personal information, let me say this. I do possess a great respect for large animals and especially horses. My family and I, we uh, enjoy every year in May and early June, there's three horse races that happen, right? The Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, the Preakness. And we love watching these races. We try to pick a winner. Uh, we stand up and we yell and scream in front of the TV. When we have family members that aren't able to be present in the living room, we FaceTime them in so we can watch it together. I mean, that's what we do. So I focus on horses three times a year on Saturday afternoons. That's what it looks like. You know, their size, their speed, the color, the trophies, the roses. I mean, it's quite impressive. But typically, I don't stop to look at that photo, that, that bit in the mouth. I don't think about what that is doing, how it guides and directs that valuable and expensive animal. That's what the bit does. And this is James' point in verse number three. By controlling only the mouth of a strong horse, one can control his whole entire body. The second illustration, let's look at this on the screen, is a photo of a rudder on the back end of a ship. It's the primary control of the ship or the boat. It's part of the steering apparatus that makes the boat go this way or this way. If you were to research very easily the size of an aircraft carrier, this rudder on the back of that would be 29 feet by 22 feet. Over 50 tons is what that rudder would weigh. It looks like a, a plate or maybe even a, a fin on a fish. And it causes friction. That's what it does. It causes friction. And it changes the direction of the boat. So as the rudder goes, so goes the ship. And it goes in this way or this way to that port of call, to that port of call. Now, the size of the human tongue is about three inches. You can do your own measurements later. <laughs> it's about three inches. It's comprised of about eight muscles, thousands of taste buds, 
And it allows us to breathe, to swallow, to speak. Our words set the course of our daily experience in life. We use them in conversation. We use them in emails. We use them on notes. We use them on social media. We use them in text messages. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says that we speak from the overflow of our heart. We all know that words are critically important. We've all been deeply hurt by words due to the friction, the friction it creates in our relationships with others. And our words, let me remind you, our words can definitely help alter or set the course for someone else. Our words have the power to do that. Conversely, we've also been greatly helped right? We've been encouraged. We've been blessed by the words of kind and influential people. If the tongue can direct, and the Bible says that it can, if the tongue can direct, it is up to you and me to direct others towards Jesus, towards the Bible, towards helping others, towards right relationships with others, towards all things that are praiseworthy, excellent, just, or true. The tongue's words have the ability to direct and steer. But the problem with the tongue, however, is that it has the propensity to direct down the wrong path. Our tongues have the words also to destroy. Look at verses five through six. James gives us the tongue's description and he compares it to a fire. A fire. A world of iniquity. He further states that it defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the course of life. I mean, what a powerful indictment. The tongue defiles and destroys men by suggesting sin. Do you ever use words and you're actually suggesting sin to someone else? I hope not. We use our words and it defiles and destroys men by committing sin, by actually condoning it, by saying, that's nah, okay, that's all right, by excusing it, by washing it away, and even defending sin. That's what our words can do if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to point us in the right direction. James paints a final picture of a spark and a fire. Verse number five of chapter three says, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts of great things. Consider how large a forest, a small fire ignites. Because if you drop a spark in the right place at the wrong time, like a dry forest, then you could have a blazing inferno on your hands just like that in a matter of moments because fire multiplies fast. Have you ever uttered a word or a sentence or even a story? And then when you get finished with it, you're like, oh no, what did I just do? Creating a narrative, creating a drama that's gonna lead others away from who Christ is, a small spark 
can start a large fire. You know, as I've been praying through this message and writing this message for a number of weeks now, I've been reminded at this point in my preparation every time about one of my favorite hymns and choruses, and it's called Pass It On. Anybody else remember Pass It On? Come on, raise them high. Be proud of that song. It's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite choruses, and it says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up by its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone you want to pass it on. And of course, in that song, in that chorus, the spark is a good thing, right? It's talking about God's love. It's talking about the gospel. And again, I'm a preacher's kid. And so you can't be a youth pastor's kid in the early 1970s without being very near to this song. Like it was just always playing in our house, right? I mean, that's just how life was. And I'm not gonna sing that song to you. I know, but hey, I've done it before in a sermon and it didn't go well. So I'm gonna spare you that. Proverbs 16, verse 27 says, a worthless man digs up evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Chapter 26 in that same book, verse 21 says, as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. If you show me a man or a woman who stirs up strife, who is a gossip or who criticizes everything due to a critical or proud heart, I will show you someone who has hurt many people, probably starting even in their own home. Many still carry the wounds from hateful, ugly, foul-smelling words from times gone by. In verse six, James says that the tongue is actually set on fire by hell. And the word there in verse six in the Bible is called Gehenna. And Gehenna was basically a trash dump, a place where all the, the refuse would go and it would burn outside of the city of Jerusalem all around the clock. Gehenna. It's the place where the wicked would spend eternity and where the place that was prepared for Satan and his demons. The power of my tongue, the, ta- the power of your tongue is a powerful weapon. The words that make their way from our heart and brain through our mouth, out from our tongue and into the outside world have power, people, to destroy. Do not forget. It has the power to teach, the power to direct. It has the power to destroy. I read a story about some children uh, that they played on their grandfather, a little trick. They found him asleep on the sofa in the living room. And so one of the grandkids goes and finds the smelliest cheese they could find in the kitchen, Limburger cheese. And they smeared it on grandpa's mustache while he was sleeping. And after a while, grandpa woke up and he began to smell that cheese. And he said, something in this living room stinks. He gets up and he goes to the kitchen and he says, something, this, this entire room here stinks. And trying to get a breath of fresh air, he pokes his head outside of the back door and he said, ah, this whole world stinks. <laughs> so stay with me now. Some of us have Limburger cheese in our hearts. The problem is not out there 
It's within us. Something needs to change within me. Something needs to change within you when we're talking about the power that our words have. Our focus needs to be transformed. Instead of looking for the bad in a situation, we need to look for the good. Instead of being preoccupied with self-interest, guilty as charged, we need to focus on the interest of other people. Changing our hearts is a good place to begin in order to not be a person whose words flat out wound and destroy other people. Next, we'll look at verses seven through 10. These verses show us that our words, our tongue is untamable. Untamable. We have the absolute inability to tame our own words. Left to my own devices, my words can be ugly. They can be right on time, but they can be ugly. What about you? The tongue can only be tamed by the Holy Spirit living inside of our lives. James declares no man can tame the tongue. So, brother and sister in Christ, because the Spirit is richly indwelling you, you have a chance for your words to be tamed. God is the one that does that. By you and I yielding our spirit to him, that's how it's done. For those in this room today, maybe you've never started a faith walk with Jesus. You have not become a born-again Christian, realizing your need to confess sin, that you need to be rescued from it, saved from it. You can't do it yourself. But that God provided a way through Jesus And it's through faith and trust and belief in him that you can have a relationship with God. Maybe today's that day that you make that spiritual decision. For apart from that spiritual decision, you don't have a chance in taming your tongue. The Bible says that it's the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. Verse number eight says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Look in verse nine and 10. We use our words to pray for wisdom, to help the afflicted, for healing, to help others find restoration. He uses his words to praise his heavenly father for his glory, his goodness, his greatness. We use our words to proclaim the gospel and then we turn around and badmouth a coworker. We berate an enemy. We walk around our house spewing nothing but disrespect to anybody that can hear. We tell a PG-13 story or worse. We're a difficult person to be around because of our mouth, because of our tongues, because we don't let God tame us. The Bible says it's impossible for the tongue to speak blessings and cursings at the same time. I would say on the same day, it shouldn't happen, right? You can't speak blessing and cursing at the same time. In the end, our blessings are contradicted and mean nothing. They mean nothing. The Bible says, what a great verse in number 10. Verse 10, praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. It should not happen. 
I found a statistic stating that the average person, check this out, the average person speaks about 11 million words per year. 11 million words. And that's easy to, uh, to see in some of us, right? Are there any overachievers in the room here today? Right? Come on. You don't, you don't have to point fingers. You can. It'd be fun. 11 million words. When you get to the age 65, that amounts to 715 million words. Imagine the magnitude of that many words. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me give you five practical ways to use your tongue. Let me give you five pragmatic ways that you can practice this week to having a tongue that is pleasing to God. Number one, refrain from attack words. You know, there's a saying that says, after you brush your teeth, don't sharpen your tongue. Do not seek to hurt others with your speech. Do not look for ways to dig at people. I've been guilty of this, planning out my day. Oh, if they do this, or if they say that, or if they don't do this, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna zing them with that. How unbiblical that is of me to do that. Do not use attack words. Number two, do not gossip Proverbs 20, 19 says, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Another version says it this way. Don't associate yourself with a simple babbler. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a contrary man spreads conflict and a whisperer or gossip separates friends. Refrain from attack words this week. Do not gossip. Number three, use clean words. Some words are just not proper to talk, with, talk about. You know them, but you don't have to use them. Lying or stretching the truth destroys our credibility. That's number four. Use truthful words. Speak the truth. Number five, use edifying words. The Bible challenges us to use our words to help people, to build others up, to not go out of our way to tear other people down. Ephesians 4.29 says, no rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. To summarize, how should we use our words? This is easy. At the very least... And at all times, be honoring. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone. Love your brother. Fear God. At work this week, supervisor, you already know you're going to have a meeting with an employee about a certain topic. Speak the truth, but be honoring. This week, when you go to the ball field or the court, Treat other people, the opposition, the leadership, treat them with respect. This week when the parent-teacher conference or phone call or email, and that can be even worse, seems to be going off the rails at no fault of your own, at the very least, you and I can be honoring in the words that we use. You might say, Eddie, 
That sounds too simplistic. In fact, Eddie, that's sort of trite. And I would say, well, it's biblical. It's not easy. Believe me. There's one or more of the little bullet points that I just shared that are difficult for me, that I struggle with, that I am not the best at. But by the grace of God, I can get better. As a child of God, fellow believer, our words must be acceptable words. And finally, number five, our words are an indication of our hearts. Look at verse 11 and 12. Our words are an indication of our hearts and therefore an indication of our spiritual condition. James is using several illustrations, right? Freshwater springs don't produce salt water. Fig trees don't produce olives. A grapevine does not produce figs. And a salt pond, of course, can't yield fresh water. Sinful words inevitably come from a sinful heart. We find in Mark 7, 14, Jesus shares that it is what comes out of a person that defiles him, words that are evil, immoral, deceitful, adulterous, wicked, sensual, slanderous, proud, and foolish. They come from within. They come from the heart. And that is a deeper problem, my friends, than our simple mouths. He's not talking about the heart as the organ that pumps blood throughout our body. He's talking about the real you, the core of who you are, the core of who I truly am. Imagine a man who has an apple tree in his backyard that only produces rotten apples He really wishes it would produce red, delicious apples because he has a certain recipe that he wants to make and let's call it an apple pie. But season after season after season, his apple tree only produces duds. He can't trust it. So one day you see your neighbor coming home with bags and bags of red, delicious apples. He comes home and he grabs his favorite heavy-duty nail gun or staple gun, and he starts applying them to the tree over and over and over, and he decorates the entire tree by doing that. Personally, I don't understand how that's done because it takes every bit of myself, all my ingenuity, just to get my Christmas lights wrapped on the tree, right, every year. Nevertheless, this tree is alive, right? It's healthy, right? Wrong. If you're stapling apples to a tree, it's not a healthy apple tree. The fruit from the tree might look good from a distance, but there's still a problem with the root. So it is with us, our hearts, and not just our behavior and our speech. Is your life, is your home filled with fruit stapling? You look good from a distance, but the closer people get to you, not so much. You know, when our children use poor language, we tell them to talk better. That's certainly necessary as part of parenting. But we've got to address the problem at a deeper level. Jesus tells us that our tongue problems are truly heart problems, my friends. Praise God, I know a spiritual tree arborist who knows how to trim, how to cut back, and how to deal with me 
when my words are not acceptable. All of us are guilty of sinning with our words. And if we're honest, James' warnings can leave us, it can leave me feeling lost, (laughs) feeling doomed, feeling like this is way too much. I don't have a chance with this. But this is where I want to encourage you in light of our sin, in light of your sin, to recognize God's provision for the imperfect words we have spoken and the imperfect words we have believed. And that solution is Jesus. That solution is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. As you've been taking, no doubt, your own spiritual inventory this morning, are your words acceptable words? Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for James and his ministry. God, we're thankful that every part of your word is applicable. It's good for teaching, reproof, correction. And God, we claim James chapter three, verses one through 12 today. God, as we live and breathe, as we walk and talk this week, as we live our lives, God, I pray that you would help our words to be acceptable. Help us to know that our words are there to help teach your goodness and your glory, that we can help others with direction. We don't want to be a person that destroys with our words. We can only and have to lean on the Holy Spirit to tame our words and help us to to know that our hearts must be right, God, with you in order to have words that are pleasing in your sight. Lord, be with every individual in this room today as they seek to apply what you have taught them and what you have said this morning through your Bible, your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.